Our scripture reading today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 25. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. For since, in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man, and the weakness of God is stronger than man. I'm fixing to be really loud. Okay, better. All right. When I can hear feedback myself, I know that I'm fixing to be really loud and blast you all out. So I was trying to be quiet there just at the beginning. It's great to see you this morning. I know we've got a number of visitors with us, and we're really, really glad that you've come our way. Thank you so much for worshiping God with us this morning. Give us an opportunity to get to know you before you leave. We've also got a number of our members that are absent this morning and a lot of our families have gone already to Peach Valley uh, Camp, the camp that Jordan uh, Moore is the director of and there are many more I think that are going to be making that journey this afternoon and so we wish you safe travel and we hope and pray that everybody that goes has a great week and is able to draw closer to God through what's happening out at the Peach Valley Camp. Um, Keep them in your prayers this week. Also keeping your thoughts and prayers, a couple of things coming up this coming weekend for parents. There is a seminar on Saturday afternoon and also on Sunday evening after services uh, by Brother Chad Landman. He's coming from Tennessee and he's going to talk to parents about media and your children and how to think through a lot of issues that parents have to deal with now uh, when it comes to um, especially digital media, things that are available on phones and computers and through the through the internet. Um, Brother Landman has a, a curriculum of study that he um, presents to to parents. And so that's going to be an opportunity that you have this coming Saturday afternoon and then also Sunday evening after services next weekend. And don't forget as as well, our WEI campaign begins in just a couple of weeks, August the 2nd. And so I know there's a lot of preparation being made for that. Continue to keep that in your prayers and in your plans. I wanted us to spend just a few moments this morning asking just this question. What kind of preaching really saves? The Bible indicates in the passage it was read just a moment ago that God, it pleased him through the foolishness of The message preached. Not not that the foolishness of preaching itself, not that preaching is foolish, but the foolishness to the world of the message that gets preached. It pleased him to save mankind through that message. There's a message God has given the world and God expects us and commands us to preach that message. In Titus chapter 1 verse 3, the Bible says that God through preaching has made known his will to the world, the will that he had before the foundation of the world, Titus 1 verse 2. He has now revealed and made known through preaching. And a lot of people are preaching. A lot of people are preaching this morning. All over this country, all over the world, a lot of people are preaching messages. And the question that we ought to think about is, does all preaching please God? 
Does every kind of preaching bring honor and glory to him in the way that he desires? Is God pleased by all preaching? And just think about some passages with me. In Titus chapter 1 verse 11, one of the reasons for elders to be appointed in every church is because in every congregation, God says, there are some who are going to be insubordinate and evil speakers. And the Bible says these must be silenced, Titus 1 verse 11, because they upset whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. Is God pleased when people do that? Another question worth asking, Romans 16, verse 18. When people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites and by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of that, uh, the naive. When people have that approach to preaching and teaching, is God pleased by that? And yet another passage in Matthew 15, verse 9. The Lord Jesus himself said, in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Can people be saved just because we talk about Jesus, just because we talk about spiritual things, just because we say some nice things about God in the Bible? Are people saved by that kind of preaching necessarily? Well, if it contains the commandments of men, if, it is, if it's wrapped up in things that are deceitful and lead people astray, the Bible's saying God's not pleased with that kind of preaching. Again, in Galatians 1, verses 7 and 8, the Apostle Paul warns at the beginning of the book of Galatians that there is another, not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort, they want to pervert the gospel of Christ. The message that God has given to be preached, some people will twist that message, they will pervert, they will distort that message. And then the apostle goes on to say that even if we, Paul, or an angel from heaven, even if an angel comes down right now and stands in front of us, if he preaches any other gospel than that which was already preached to you, let him be accursed. Is God pleased by just any kind of preaching? The Bible answers emphatically, negatively. No, he's not. The word of God, according to scripture in the New Testament, can be handled deceitfully in second corinthians 4 verse 2 the apostle said we didn't come among you and be in cunning craftiness and we didn't handle deceitfully the word of god we weren't being manipulative and we weren't trying to to bend your will to our own but rather to share god's word the truth with you he goes on to say in second corinthians 4 verse 2 the word of God can be perverted, as we just read in Galatians 1, verses 7 through 9. It can be twisted, it can be perverted, it can be changed, and God is not pleased when that happens. The word of God can be made void. In Mark chapter 7, verse 13, Jesus accused the Pharisees of making void God's commandment by their traditions, by their doctrines, by their commandments. God's word can be made void. We can take the powerful word of God and make it of none effect by the way we preach if we're not careful. And God's word, the Bible warns us, can be twisted. 2 Peter 3 verse 16. People take the scriptures and they twist them, Peter says, to their own destruction. And the question again is relevant. What kind of preaching saves is God pleased by just any kind of preaching? I heard an illustration one time that a glass of water will quench your thirst. But if you take just a little bit of salt and you put it in that glass of water, instead of quenching your thirst, that water will create thirst. And then, even worse, if you just took a little bit of arsenic 
and put it in that glass of water. Instead of quenching thirst, it's going to bring destruction and death to you. Just a little bit of arsenic. And people say, well, but it's mostly water. The water's good. The water's good for you. Yes, but it's that poison that's there. It's that corruption. It's that twisting of what the good purpose of water is all about that causes it to be deadly to you. Can any kind of preaching save? The answer the Bible gives is no. And so then you need to ask the question, okay, what kind of preaching does save? What kind of water, the water of life, brings quenching to the thirst of people who hunger and thirst after righteousness, Matthew 5, verse 6. And it's that question that I believe we ought to spend some time answering this morning. If you've got your Bible, I'm going to ask you with each one of our six points in our lesson this morning to open to a different scripture. And I just want you to think about the kind of preaching that God says saves. What kinds of themes and what kinds of ideas and what kinds of principles ought to be brought out in preaching so that we can know I'm listening to preaching that will save my soul because that's how God chose to make his will known. And so first of all, if you would this morning, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8, and I want you to notice verse 5. Acts chapter 8, verse 5, what kind of preaching saves? And the first thing we notice in Acts chapter 8, verse 5, is that people in the New Testament, they preached Christ. They preached Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8 and verse 5, after the scattering of the early church by persecution, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and he preached or proclaimed Christ to them. Philip went into the, a foreign territory, a new territory where the gospel had not gone and Philip's theme, Philip's idea, Philip's goal was to tell them about Jesus Christ. Philip no doubt talked to the Samaritans about the death of Christ. He no doubt talked to them about the atonement that they could have through Jesus Christ. He no doubt talked to them about having the mind of Christ, Philippians 2 verse 5. But make no mistake, when Philip preached, he was talking about Jesus. He was talking about Christ and his mission and what Jesus came to do for us. And if we're going to please God by our preaching these days, our preaching has got to be Christ-centered. It's got to be gospel-oriented. It's got to be God-focused because preaching Christ does all of those things. Look down in the very same chapter at Acts chapter 8, verse 35. Same guy, Philip, who preached Christ to the Samaritans, preaches to the Ethiopian nobleman. And the Bible says in Acts 8, verse 35, that at that very same passage where the nobleman was reading, he was reading from an Old Testament passage in Isaiah 53, the Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 35, that Philip opened his mouth and he preached Jesus to him. People need to hear today about Jesus. He is a historical person. He really came to this world and he really lived the life that the Bible claims he lived and he really did what the Bible claims he did for you and me. And people need to hear more about Jesus. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 2. I've determined to know nothing among you, Paul said, except for Christ and him crucified. When Paul went preaching to people, he talked about Jesus. No matter where he started in the Bible, whether it was Leviticus or whether he started with Romans, wherever Paul started preaching, he always got around to preaching Christ and him crucified because that was the emphasis and the focus of his ministry. In Acts 4 verse 12, the apostles, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus... The scripture says that they were eagerly and boldly proclaiming that there was no other name given among men under heaven by which we can be saved. 
preaching that saves. It emphasizes and lifts up and exalts Jesus Christ. By the way, it also talks about, when we talk about Christ, obedience to him. If you're taking notes, write that down. It's not just the facts about Jesus, but it's about obedience to Christ. And I'll prove that, that that's what preaching Christ is all is involved in. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, that Jesus has become the author of eternal salvation, watch this, to all that obey him. When we preach Christ, we preach the mind of Christ. We preach the atonement of Christ. We preach the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We preach living and following the example of Christ, but we must, over all of those things, preach obedience to Christ. He has all authority in heaven and on earth, Matthew 28, verse 18. And I can't look at the words of Jesus, and I can't look at the words of the New Testament and say, you know what, I choose not to obey those things. Can we really be pleasing to God if we preach anything other than obedience to Christ? The Bible says in John 14, verse 15, Jesus asked, How can you love me without keeping my commandments? If you do love me, keep my commandments. Do what I say. Preaching Christ means that we talk about how he's the exclusive way to God and how obedience to him is the way that we have a right relationship with God. Preach Christ. It pleases God and it saves people's souls. Secondly, here's another passage to turn to. Open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and look at verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. What kind of preaching pleases God? Not just preaching Christ, but preaching the cross of Christ. And what we're doing this morning is just looking through the New Testament in our in our study and looking at passages that talk about preaching. What kind of preaching pleases God? What kind of preaching saves people's souls? Preaching the cross does that. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. The scripture says, for the message of the cross, not just Christ, but what Christ did specifically on the cross is in view here. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You tell people, Jesus died for you. He died on a cross. And a lot of people say, that sounds foolish. That sounds strange to me. I would never believe that that could somehow impact my life. It's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18, it is the power of God. We need to talk in our preaching about what Jesus did at the cross and what the cross means for people's lives because Christ and his cross make possible our salvation. The gospel, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is what gives hope to mortal man. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 9, the Hebrews writer argues that Jesus took on flesh. He became man so that he might taste death for everyone. He's preaching the cross there. He's saying that what Jesus did was he took on flesh so that he could die and he could pay the penalty for everyone. If we'll just reach out in faith and if we'll just accept the gift that he's offered. 
In 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, Peter says, you were not redeemed with silver and gold. You weren't redeemed with corruptible things, but rather with the precious blood of Christ. His blood was shed for you, the lamb slain before the foundation of the world, he goes on to say in that passage. Jesus and his cross has done something, has accomplished something that can provide salvation to you and to me. And we're far from preaching that pleases God when we don't talk about Christ and his cross. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 16, God has reconciled both Jew and Gentile to himself and to each other through the cross. We sing songs about the cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, the old rugged cross, we sing songs about the cross and we need to preach about the cross because in the cross of Jesus Christ, we find our hope and we find our salvation. Romans chapter five, verse eight indicates that Jesus has died and by doing that at the cross, it is a manifestation, it is a demonstration that God loves the human race. He has manifested his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Preaching that pleases God, preaching that saves, is the preaching of the cross of Jesus Christ. Every one of us who wants to be a preacher or a teacher of God's word will never please God for very long if we stray from preaching Christ and if we stray from preaching about the cross of Christ and what it means for our lives. I just want to say something. There are a lot of sermons. There are a lot of people that are preaching out there. And basically what it boils down to is self-help and fluffy, feel-good types of things. The gospel can make us feel good and the gospel can cause us to rejoice. As a matter of fact, even the cross is an occasion for rejoicing. Galatians 6 verse 14, forbid it if I should boast in anything but the cross. However, if we get away from the message that God has given us, we're not really pleasing him. And the preaching that we, we do is not going to save anybody. Preaching Christ and his cross. A third concept. What does God desire for us to preach? He wants us to preach the gospel. Turn to Luke chapter 4 and verse 43. Excuse me. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Romans chapter 1 verse 16. I got ahead of myself. Romans 1 verse 16. The apostle Paul writes this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, Romans 1.16, is the power of God to salvation, preaching that saves, for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. God's power unto salvation. The gospel, brothers and sisters and friends, is good news. And it's also important to realize that in order for there to be good news, we also have to understand the bad news because a light only shines brightly when we understand how dark the darkness is. A gem only glimmers and shines and and reflects light brightly when we see it against a dark background. And people need to understand the depths and the depravity and the hopelessness and the despair of living in sin. People need to understand that in order also to understand the good news that God has made a way out of all that, that the lives that people are living and the hopelessness that people experience and the despair and the discouragement that is found in living a sinful life, there's a way out of all that. There is hope for those who want to appeal to God for mercy and for grace. It's the gospel. It's good news. It's God's power unto salvation. 
Think about this. There's an illustration that was used many years ago, and it always kind of struck me as useful along these lines. If you're sitting in first class on an airplane, and somebody comes along, and they have, they have parachutes, and they say, here, everybody strap one of these on. Take this parachute and put it on. Well, that parachute is cumbersome. I don't want to get up out of my first class seat. I don't want to put on that parachute if it's not necessary. Oh, but it'll be good for you. Take this parachute and put it on. Well, is, is something wrong? Is, is there anything that's, that's imminently going to happen? No, no, no. It's just in case. And sometimes what we do with the gospel is we talk about it like it's a parachute that you ought to just put on just in case anything bad happens. When in reality, we'd have a completely different view of that parachute if somebody came down the aisle and said, we've just lost engine number two, and we're not going to be able to make it to our destination. In fact, we're not going to make it to any airport. This plane is going to crash. Here, would you like a parachute? The bad news comes first, and then people are ready to receive the good news. Yes, there's hope, there's escape, there's there's a parachute for me. That's what the gospel is. The gospel is hope for people who are otherwise hopeless. And when we preach the gospel, we must preach it because it's God's power unto salvation. Preach it as good news. In Galatians 1 verse 11, where did the gospel come from? Didn't come from man's wisdom, didn't come from man's mind, but rather from God. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 15, the scripture talks about people whose feet are shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. The gospel brings peace. It'll bring peace to your life. It'll bring peace to your relationships with others. It'll bring peace to your relationship with God himself. It is good news because the gospel is God's way to make peace. The world will never find peace without and in the absence of the gospel. In Acts 20, verse 24, it is called the gospel of the grace of God. It's good news. There is peace. There is grace. There is healing. There is forgiveness to be found in a relationship with God. And that is to be preached to people. Preaching ought to leave people with a sense of what sin is like in God's eyes, but it also ought to leave people with hope. That's what the gospel is all about. It ought to leave people with hope. If I will turn and repent and turn to God and accept the gift that he offers, I can find hope. I can find grace. It is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, in preaching the gospel, we're not getting too far away from Jesus and the message about Jesus. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 begins, the gospel of Mark begins with that expression, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news about him. And even when Jesus began to preach, the Bible says he went around beginning to preach the gospel, the good news of God and his kingdom. Mark 1 verse 14. Preaching that saves, preaching that pleases God is the preaching of good news, the preaching of the gospel. We are to talk about these things with those who are lost. And we're to strengthen the saved with these things as well. Next, turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and look at verse 2. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. The Apostle Paul was about to die for his faith. And 2 Timothy is, as far as we know, the last letter he ever wrote. And he wrote it to a young preacher named Timothy. And he told Timothy... I've got some things I want to say to you, and I want to leave ringing in your ears when I'm gone. 
And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2, here's what he left ringing in Timothy's ears. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, preach the word. What kind of preaching pleases God? It is the preaching of God's word. It is the preaching of the message and the revelation that God has given to the world. There are a lot of things we could talk about this morning, but we're not pleasing God unless God's word is heard and made plain and made relevant and applicable to people's lives. The preaching of God's word. I challenge you sometime to just kind of listen to preaching that goes on. And a lot of preaching has very, very, very little of God's word in it. A lot of the preaching that even among our brethren is happening has very little scripture in it. And yet God has said, preach the word. People need to hear the word, the arguments that God makes and the way that God makes those arguments. Those things need to be ringing in people's ears. And nowadays we want to get away from that because we think that it just won't work. Preach the word, the Bible says. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, the word of the Lord abides forever. This is the word by which the gospel was preached to you, it says. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 25, these people had become Christians. How? They had become Christians by hearing the word of the Lord, the gospel, the message about Jesus Christ. In Acts 20, verse 32, Paul left some elders. He said, I'm not going to see you anymore. I've always been there for you to help you and to guide you and to pray with you, but I'm not going to see you anymore. So now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to commend you to God and to the word of his grace. Acts 20, verse 32, which is able to build you up. People need to hear the word of God's grace. They need to hear the word of the gospel from the mouths of people who know and love the Lord. Acts 15 verse 7. That's what Peter said about his ministry. He said it was pleasing to God that by my mouth the Gentiles should first hear the word of the gospel. He preached the word. He told Cornelius and his household what God desired of them. The preaching of the word, it's the word of salvation, Acts 13, verse 26, which has come to you. God has provided salvation, but he wants you to listen to him. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, it's called the word of reconciliation. You know what reconciliation is? It's an amazing word. Reconciliation means that two, two parties are hostile toward one another. And instead of hostility, we are reconciled and we replace the hostility with friendship, with warm affection. And God is saying that when his word is preached, that there is hostility between God because of sin and those who live in sin. But after the word is believed and obeyed, there is reconciliation. And that reconciliation, the replacing of hostility with warm feelings of affection, that happens on God's terms, not on yours and mine. It's the word of reconciliation. He gives you a pathway. He gives you a direction. He gives you the significance of what it means to be reconciled. In Philippians 2 verse 16, the Bible calls us stewards of the word of life. We take God's word, the word that gives life, and we live it in our own lives and we proclaim it to those around us because the word is what saves people's souls. The word must be preached. What kind of preaching saves? What kind of preaching pleases God? Now turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 43. Luke chapter 4, verse 43. 
the preaching of the kingdom. Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, Jesus himself during his earthly ministry talked about the kingdom of God. I would suspect that if you just took, after this lesson is done, if you've been taking notes and just writing down each of these points, preaching Christ, preaching the cross, preaching the gospel, preaching the word, preaching the kingdom, I would expect that in many places there's a lot of agreement with those first few things. But then when you get to this particular point, in a lot of places with a lot of our religious friends, we're going to part company. Is it really necessary, after all, to preach the kingdom? The Bible talks about the kingdom as being how we're right with God. It talks about being a a group of people that belong to Jesus Christ. The Bible talks about the kingdom and the church being synonymous. When one is baptized, he's baptized into the kingdom, but he's also baptized into the church, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 13. The entrance requirements are the same. They have the same Savior. They have the same covenants and the same laws, the church and the kingdom. And notice that Jesus talked about the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, how God has authority over our lives, how Jesus is going to reign over our lives. He's going to be our king, and we're going to be his citizens, his subjects, his followers. People in the New Testament preached Christ and the cross and the gospel and the word, and they also preached about the kingdom, the church of Christ. They did, without hesitation, without apology. They preached this message, and so did Jesus, and so did John the baptizer. In Acts chapter 8, the passage we looked at a little while ago, Philip preached Christ, remember? Acts 8, 5, Acts 8, 35. Philip preached Jesus, but the Bible also says in Acts 8, verse 12, that Philip preached the kingdom, the things concerning the kingdom of God he preached to the Samaritans. Not only did Philip preach the kingdom, but also Paul did. In Acts 28, verse 31, here's how the book of Acts comes to a close. Paul is in prison, and the Bible says that they're in prison at at the end of Acts 28. He's under house arrest, and people are coming and going from this house where, where Paul is arrested. And Paul is constantly talking about the kingdom of God to people. But I thought Paul said that he determined to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. That's true. But you can't really preach Christ. Not everything about Christ without also preaching the kingdom of Christ. See how that works? You can't really preach everything about Christ without talking about the word of the Lord. He proclaimed things about the kingdom of God. In Matthew 4, 23, Jesus again went about proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, he said, this was my goal. This was my mission. This was my reason for coming. Again, you're looking at Luke 4.43, same idea as Matthew 4.23. I have come, Jesus said, to talk to people about the good news of the kingdom of God, the rule of God in people's lives, how God is going to to show us how we should live and we could submit to his authority and we could be citizens of his heavenly kingdom. In Mark chapter, or Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, the scripture references the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And in Matthew 24, verse 14, Jesus predicts that this gospel, this good news of the kingdom is going to go into all the world before the end comes. Over and over and over, you find people talking about the kingdom of God. You find people talking about the church that belongs to Jesus. Preaching that pleases God talks about these kinds of matters because these things have been given to us by God. We didn't make up the message. We just proclaim a message that's already been made, already been given, submitted by our holy God. One last 
thing? What kind of preaching saves people's souls? What kind of preaching changes people's lives and causes them to turn and to rejoice and to understand they have a relationship with God? Look at Luke chapter 24 and verse 47 in your Bible. Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. Preaching that saves. We are, brothers and sisters and friends, to preach the remission of sins. Look at Luke 24 and verse 47. Jesus says that repentance and the remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Jesus wants people to preach about the remission of sins. We're not soft-selling it. We're not saying that sin doesn't matter. We're not saying that it doesn't create a rift between us and God. But we can preach because of what Jesus has done by virtue of his finished work on the cross, the remission of sins. Sins are in remission. They have been rolled away. There is no evidence as God looks at us from a legal perspective that those sins were ever committed. That needs to be preached. That needs to be proclaimed to people. In the New Testament, in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, when people cried out after being convicted that they'd murdered Jesus, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter answered them in Acts 2 verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, the forgiveness of your sins. God offers you forgiveness. He offers me forgiveness. And that forgiveness is something to be preached. It's something to be proclaimed because that offer is what Jesus' mission was all about. The idea that sin is a problem that we take with us beyond the grave. It's a problem that doesn't leave us just because we die. It's a problem that continues to exist, not only in this life, but the next. And you can have forgiveness of sin. You can have cleansing. You can have atonement. You can have all of your sins washed away. Redemption. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, for the forgiveness of sins. God in his holy wisdom has shown us that not just any kind of preaching will save people's souls, but rather the kind of preaching that emphasizes Christ and the cross and the word of God and obedience to that word, the kind of preaching that emphasizes the kingdom of God and the forgiveness, the remission of sins, that is preaching that saves. Let me ask you in all honesty, do you hear that kind of preaching in your life? Do you listen to the kind of preaching that they preached in the New Testament? Because sadly, in many places, that kind of preaching is not taking place. We need to ask for, we need to demand in every place that our pulpits ring loud with the kind of preaching that will save people's souls, the kind of preaching that will change people's lives, the kind of preaching that will reconcile people to God. That's preaching that saves. And we need to make sure that that's our expectation, no matter where we go, and no matter who we listen to, and no matter who's preaching the sermon, that's preaching that exalts Christ and saves men's souls. If you're here this morning, you're not a New Testament Christian, Believe the gospel, repent of your sin, be baptized. When you are baptized, you come into a covenant relationship with God. 
And if you're ready to make that commitment this morning, or if you need to respond because you want to ask for prayers, heaven's invitation is always yours, but it's especially yours while we sing this song of encouragement. Let us stand and sing.